the worst thing you can actually do is start hiring at day zero. I know that sounds weird, but don't get me wrong. The hiring push will be manic and will drive you crazy. But if you don't take the time to understand what an SE at an organization will need to be successful, you know, repeating the same thing that you did at company X or company Y, won't, those playbooks don't necessarily translate This is Presales Heroes, which is from Vivin, the world's first platform for presales. Today we hear from Dave Russell, VP of Solutions Engineering at Grafana Labs, who is a veteran of fast growth startups, and he shares his playbook for building a high performance team in pressure cooker conditions. Hi, I'm Greg Howard, and I'm talking to Dave Russell, VP of Solutions Engineering at Grafana Labs. I'm in San Francisco, but uh, Dave's in the UK. What uh, what part of the UK are you calling from, Dave? So I'm uh, I'm out in the middle of nowhere in kind of rural Herefordshire in the UK. So you can think about that as being sort of the, uh, I guess, Mid- Midlands area or sort of uh, west side of, uh, central west side of England, but uh, over towards Wales. And uh, it's beautiful, it's sunny, and uh, yeah, it's a good day to be recording. I'm sort of... Uh, out, definitely, as I say, in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, the, the world is going through some interesting challenges at the moment. But uh, self-isolation when you're in the, in the middle of nowhere is kind of uh, the yeah, way comes that with, things comes are. the territory. Yeah, it, it, already, <laughs> exactly. it was already there. Now, you know, Dave, you, you've had an extremely illustrious career in solutions engineering, and I, I want to talk about all that. But before we do that, we have to let you have a plug because you're being kind enough to be a guest on Pre-Sales Heroes. But you've been doing your own podcast for a couple of years, right? Yeah, yeah. It's actually been, uh, I think we've been doing this for about four and a half years now. Wow. Um, and it's it's called the, the Roaring Elephant Podcast. Um, it started quite some time ago as, you know, focused around uh, big data and Hadoop and advanced analytics and, you know, machine learning and AI. And over the course of the last four and a half, getting up towards five years, it's gone through, you know, a couple of different evolutions. But it's now really just, generally focused around enterprise technology and we bite-sized big tech and we we talk about you know anything and everything we've had folks talking about continuous integration continuous deployment you know containers and kubernetes various different parts of the machine learning ecosystem and ai all the way through to you know just how do you how do you hire people in tech you know what makes you know what makes a, a good sort of hiring regime and all kinds of things. So we, we kind of cover a bit of the gamut, a little bit of everything. Good focus towards open source, but, you know, any sort of modern magic that's that's tech and interesting. That sounds great. If people want to check that out, where, where they go to listen to it, Dave? So you can find us at uh, roaringelephant.org, but, uh, you know, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, Deezer, all the, all the usual Spotify, you know, all the usual locations. Uh, just search for Roaring Elephant and uh, you should find us popping up pretty quickly. And you're on YouTube, right? You have a video uh, version of it. Yeah, yeah. We moved, we moved into YouTube actually not too long ago. We'd been uploading audio-only versions uh, to YouTube for a while and our entire back catalog is there but we recently moved into full video uh, on youtube as well so you can see 
uh, my co-host Jon and uh, and myself talking about all of this uh, weird and wonderful stuff. Now, Dave, let's get in your origin story. I think your career has been, and your, even your podcast kind of suggests that, largely focused on op- open source. So maybe you can just kind of walk me through how you yeah. got into pre-sales and kind of your career trajectory there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's funny. I often joke that you know, no one comes out of school or college or university thinking, I want to be an SE. You know, that, <laughs> that's just not something that that people think about like people in my experience they take a they just take a different turn one day and they end up in this strange mystical land of solutions engineering or sales engineering like they're they're technical people but they're talking to business folks they're they're selling stuff but without really selling it they're extroverted technical people who can build connections and relationships and it's it's one of these things that it's for a lot of people that land in this in this role, it's like the home that they never knew that they were missing. I started actually in mechanical engineering. I just found that a lot of the tools I was working with were actually more interesting than the than the actual you know core mechanical engineering itself. And this was the early days of like Solaris and HPUX and Silicon Graphics and this this little niche thing called Linux. And uh, so that was that was my first taste of, of open source. Then from that point, I, I sort of, I left where I was at that point. So I spent like nearly 10 years at Rolls-Royce Military Aero Engines. And I went to a place, uh, it used to be called the Defense and European Research Agency, you know, rebranded to uh, Kinetic. You know, by that time, I was a, a sort of a Linux and open source kind of expert building clusters and automation still you know very hands-on behind a desk cranking away at, at these sort of these projects for you know government and commercial customers until this one day when I I was working on a fairly sizable cluster and you know we needed some assistance from a vendor I hadn't really worked with vendors very much before but uh, this very very nice guy who I still uh, I still communicate to this day uh, with a guy called Graham from uh, from Red Hat came along and we just we just started talking we just hit it off we were sort of working away on this little project and he'd said you know he'd come in to help me set things up and you know he arrived and I'd already got it all done and he was like oh <laughs> wow most people like struggle with a lot of this but and you know there were a few little hitches here and there that he just kind of ironed out you know the the project wound up and he said well you know if you ever ever think about a, a change of career you know give me a give me a shout I'll I'll put a good word in for you pretty much a year later I started Red Hat as a as a senior consultant over the like nearly 5 years at Red Hat I did a variety of different things but I by the end, I was running the kind of UK, Ireland, and, and South Africa platform sort of pre-sales team. It sort of it just snowballed from there. I, I went on to uh, Canonical, the people behind Ubuntu and OpenStack. Um, again, you know, I started off as an IC there, and uh, you know, working as a, a partner guy. Things evolved, bit of a reorg, bit of a restructure, and by the end of that, I was you know director of a global team of of SEs that. I'd built up again, like from zero to to about fifteen, and that was a team that was spread across, you know, the US, EMEA, and and APAC. So it was a, a fully kind of global distributed team. You know, that, that cycle really has has continued. My next five years after that were at Hortonworks and Cloudera, the land of big data and advanced analytics, and that's where the the podcast initially started. You know, stay, started as an IC there, actually remained an IC um, throughout throughout my time there. 
but focusing more on on the sort of the technical specialization so by the end of that was a principal se focused on one of the core business units with a a global remit. Then, you know, my latest adventure is uh, is VP of Solutions Engineering at Grafana Labs. You know, I was bought, bought on at Grafana Labs to, again, build up a, a solutions engineering function really from, from the very beginning. There was nothing here at all uh, when, I, when I started. And uh, I'm very, very happy to say that 18 months later, I've got a Got a team of 10 fully distributed, you know, 80% of them in the US, 20% here in EMEA. And uh, it's, a, it's a great team that's uh, certainly punching well above its, uh, its weight and uh, continuing to grow. As this is not the first time I've heard it, somebody ends up in pre-sales because they proved to somebody else that they can solve technical problems that nobody else can solve. Then that person says, this person needs to be in pre-sales and they almost make that happen for the for, for, for the person. It's like the, there's such a desperate hunger for talent that once you demonstrate you can do it, the world will find a way to put you in that that role. It is, it is. Although I did I did what I think was the smart thing at the time. And I, I, still, I still like this as a path. You know, when I... When I made that first jump, I said, look, I, I love the idea of this, this, this SE role. This sounds amazing. But I really want to get like hands-on with the tech first. I don't just want to go straight in as you know, like someone in pre-sales trying to preach the way that this stuff should work. <laughs> so I, I started off as a consultant, and I, I still think that's a really good path for people to follow. And we can talk about like career progression and stuff later, but... I, I I do think that uh, you know some people can just dive straight into it. Other people kind of want to build up that knowledge first and evolve into it. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's one of those sort of repeating kind of cycles where the the growth of of people from that delivery side or from the support side or from the CX side on into the the sort of the SE role and beyond. I think is a really it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. So Grafana Labs, the thing I was hoping we'd talk about, and you've alluded to this a couple of times, is the fact that I, I think it's really hard for somebody to come into a startup and build uh, a function from the ground up. And you've done it more than once, and you've yeah. done it extremely <laughs> successfully at Grafana Labs. And I, I think that's a really interesting topic. And just just for background, what, one thing I like to do to try to, I mean, I know Grafana Labs, they're, they're very popular. It's a fast growth company, but you don't have to take my word for it. If, you, if you're if you on LinkedIn, you can look at the uh, the insights tab and see the growth rate of that startup. And that gives you a sense of of how well it's doing. And, you know, over the last few years, Grafana Labs has grown over 400%. So that that gives yeah. you an idea of the fact that there's <laughs> a very fast growth trajectory and it's, it's extremely well-regarded startup. So talking about, you know, and with the point when you joined Grafana, you, you've done this a few times. So I'd love to hear about what that playbook, like you said, you came in your pre-sales pro number number one, and then you build up um, uh, build up a team fully distributed over a couple of years. I'd just love to hear what your thought process for going about and doing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the the, the funniest thing and the thing that I see people getting wrong, like time and time and time again, is like I see people who. They land in a role like they're under pressure. They need to they need to like build a team. And as as strange as it sounds, like the worst thing you can actually do is start hiring at day zero. And like I know that sounds weird, but what I found is that you really do need to take the time before you launch into that. Because don't get me wrong, like the hiring push will be manic and will drive you crazy, but 
if you don't take the time to understand what uh, an SE at an organization will need um, to be successful, you know, repeating the same thing that you did at company X or company Y won't, those playbooks don't necessarily translate like for like, you know, some of the the core sort of uh, ideas or concepts will probably carry across, but I, I really find that you you need to consider the the culture and, and the tech and the the method of selling and there's there's so much more to it that if you just go and plow like headfirst straight into hiring like you you may luck out you may land up some great people that, that evolve in the right direction but you could also make some some really sort of some difficult kind of uh, some difficulty for you because you hire people that maybe aren't the best fit for what you actually end up needing for this org. The way that I the way that I approach this is like your day zero is spend time really interviewing the folks that have been filling in for this kind of you know function in the org up until this point. So that's like the the CX folks, the support folks, the the customer friendly engineers that the that the you know the the very early sales team uh, or early kind of commercial leaders don't don't mind too much bringing on calls um the leaders and the founders from the org that are just dangerous enough uh to have been you know carrying that role up today you know what have they found that works well what what do they find where do they find they struggle you know what what causes deals to slow down what would they want to do if they could dedicate the time to it for me that's the first piece that's sort of that's the the first piece you need to understand in Getting that intel is is pretty important. It's the, almost it, it's, it's interesting, Dave. It's almost like you're saying that the, the the playbook changes a little bit from startup to startup. So the biggest mistake you can do is 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 taking your old one without making the changes and the revisions you yeah. need to to prepare for the for, for the new opportunity. You you're absolutely right. As I say, the like the core concepts are often very very similar, but you know what you need from an individual can can vary, and so. What I, what I say next is, uh, and again, this is this is my opinion, and this is what I've done a number of times now, is if you've got that kind of background and if you've got that, I mean, I've bounced from, you know, IC to manager, director of EP, you know, backwards and forwards throughout my career. So I think if you can get into that role as an IC, like be the SE for, and it only needs to be a relatively short period of time. You can wrap up this whole kind of cycle of intelligence gathering and, and feedback and all that stuff easily within your first kind of 30 days. But, you know, do that role as an IC, get into the tech, get on the customer calls, get hands on with the product understand the value prop and you know how how what what a good demo might look like um you know start partnering with engineering to to sort of get some of that uh, you know some of that focus and get a f- get a feeling for the kind of skills that you think are going to be the most critical and the most important firsthand uh, th- you know it, it makes incredible sense i think what you're really saying in, in part is that in order to do this job successfully you almost have to have the dna of an individual contributor versus just coming in and thinking you're going to uh, you know pour water and add instant team because if you haven't lived and breathed what the IC is going to go through you're not going to be able to build and scale your team very successfully I, I think that's right i think when you when you're building something entirely from scratch I think there's there's a, a duty of care that you need to make sure you've got this right because if you get this wrong like you're going to be on the wrong trajectory 
for a good long while and you probably won't even know it and it'll be further down the line that you realize oh i've hired like people that don't have the right skills and and don't actually kind of line up with what this organization needs and that's you know i've i thankfully have i've never been in that position but i have i have seen other folks who have and it's it's a it's a kind of it's a terrible sort of situation to land yourself in because then you've you've hired a you know a bunch of people maybe from your own network maybe sort of you know calling in you know personal favors of you know come and come and work with me again you know we had such a great time last time and then you have to sort of you know reassess like does this person is this person like actually the best fit for the role that this organization needs so don't put yourself in that position you know if you're building something from scratch Make sure you really understand, you know, what's needed. Let's let's fast forward a little bit. And you yeah. made the point very clearly that this playbook is not going to be the same for every startup. But let's just say you're, you know, six months into it. And you have kind of figured out how things are supposed to work. You understand what you think a gold standard demo is. You think you understand the value proposition, the business drivers are going to cause someone to buy. Um, and let's say you've actually started to build a team at that point. At that point, as a, as a pre-sales leader, what are the kind of metrics and the what are the sort of the North Star guiding you at that point from a metric standpoint for team productivity and performance? Do you have sort of general uh, metrics that you're trying to hit at that point? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, what, what I would say before we hit that, just because you mentioned like the, the six months, I think like this discovery this this kind of embedding yourself like thirty days max, you know, maybe sixty days if you if you've got the oh, time. Okay, so not that much most time, time. That's pretty fast. Yeah. yeah, most time you don't get that much time. Like <laughs> the sixty days is your absolute limit. But then 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 your hiring push begins, and then in parallel, you've got to remember that you're not just thinking about hiring people, but like people come on board. There's a certain amount of like process and procedure that people will need in in parallel with all of this be be really picky about the first 5 to 10 hires you make like they're going to set the foundation for that organization for a long time to come you're going to be continuously like iterating on your hiring process again like what works is what worked in one place may not work you know the next place so don't get too hung up on on well like this is the way that I did things last time the thing that i always think of when you're hiring because that's the that's the push that you make really early on is don't get too hung up on backgrounds or existing roles i worked with some amazing SEs who came from a support background or an engineering background or a customer right. success background especially early on like the more diverse that team is the better it is like that's just that's just the way that life is when you think about um, a startup like your final ads particularly in the early days versus some sort of you know big company like I don't know, you know, Cisco or IBM or something. What do you think is the right DNA for those early hires? Is there something specific that's going to, you think is going to make them successful, irrespective of the particular background they come from? Yeah, I do. I think you need to look for you need to look for people that have the passion for whatever it is you're doing. Like they can connect really quickly and really easily with people. They have the passion and the interest, and they can communicate that really kind of clearly and easily. And they just, you know, if if you get off a call with somebody and you're excited about talking to them next time, that's a really good, like it's, it's a gut feel thing, but that's a really good sign. So I that's think a, those are a great the, insight. I haven't heard that one before. They, yeah. they, they come to you and they're excited about the conversation. They want to go back in again. You know, you were you were talking about, uh, or you mentioned the question around metrics, and I think there's there's a whole there's a whole host of of, of things that that I I really care about. I I think that you know you're obviously looking at uh, the total deal value that the the SEs are working on for the quarter, or that bring in during a quarter. 
But you also want to think about, you know, what contributions are they making to the demo environment? You know, how are they pushing that kind of cycle forward? What contributions are they making to other resources that the wider team can consume and use that pushes the whole team forward and accelerates the whole team? You know, the the number of deals that someone's wrangling, like if someone's spinning a huge volume of, you know, spinning a lot of plates, um, there's going to be, you know, that in itself is is something to really focus on. Are they working with a lot of new logos? Are they doing a lot of education of people very early on, early style prospects that, you know, maybe are even more kind of a, of a heavy lift than some of the existing, you know, growth conversations? And then, you know, if you've got a, a product that involves a trial, you know, how many how many trials is that person running in a quarter? What's their conversion ratio of, of those trials? You know, what's their conversion ratio from kind of discovery to trial as well? You know, the all of those things are really important. And then you you start to look at the, you know, the, the time that people spend. So the, the elapsed time from like a trial or a, a proof of value. I hate the term proof of concept. I'm trying to ban it from <laughs> everybody's vocabulary. But, you know, a trial or a pilot, that time that it takes to get from that to like getting the tech win and and kind of keeping a track on that uh, is really important. Conversion ratio and and thinking about all of these numbers in like deal size, in who you're competing against, and, and having this all of this data kind of sliced and diced is really important to make sure that you can you can spot areas where you know it's less about oh I think this person can improve like you might get some of that from this data, but it's more about where as a team do we think that we can improve? Where as a team do we think maybe we're sort of we're weak or we can uh, improve and and kind of okay maybe against this particular competitor looking at a conversion ratio like we do really well up to this stage but this stage doesn't land so you know what can we do to to pivot there yeah i was going to mention that i mean some one thing i would imagine that when you when you hired your team and even though you you spent a lot of time figuring out the playbook yourself once you see like a star performer have a, a pattern of success by executing in a certain way with a certain kind of deliverables and a certain kind of activities, that might be something you can replicate across the team and learn from it so your conversions yeah. get better. Yeah, 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 definitely. There's a there's a saying leadership at every level. And this is, you know, when we are talking about a small startup, and this is why I say like the first five to 10 hires are absolutely critical is because you're going to be building so much when you're doing this. You're yes, you're going to be building a team, but you've got all of the all of the process, all of the procedures, all the different methods of integrating into the the rest of the organization. All of the um, you know the focus that you put on building demos, building decks, building competitive information, all of that sort of stuff will will fall not just on the person leading this organization but on the the team as a whole so you know that that leadership at every level focusing on delegation autonomy but also teamwork and that's a really it's a really difficult balance to get and it but it is something that you can foster within a team dave this next topic is probably one we could spend a whole different podcast on i know we're, we 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 probably don't have that much time, but I did want to at least touch on it because because it's just so relevant for the for the world we're living in. You've you've not only done this many times, but you've done distributed teams many times. And I just wondered if we could talk briefly about how you so successfully managed to build these teams that you're talking about with all these best practices uh, when you have a large part of your team overseas or or somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. So I mean, 
as you say, I've been I've been working working remotely, working in distributed teams for well over fifteen years. Uh, say eighty percent of my current team is remote, and ninety percent of my previous team was remote. So, yeah, I've I've definitely been doing this for for quite some time. I suppose there's there's a, there's a couple of things that that feed into this. For me, the number one thing when you've got a distributed team is transparency. Transparency from both from you, obviously you can't always communicate everything. You know, there are certain things that as a manager, as a, as a leader in an organization that, you know, you need to have a certain level of sensitivity around. But being as transparent as possible to your team in what's, you know, what's going well, what's not going well, you know, where we're heading, where the challenges are, all of those kind of things are absolutely, it's the number one thing. If you don't have transparency across your team, then you will have a very difficult time with a distributed kind of organization. Yeah, it's Some of that is just be really clear with your communication. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about, maybe you're talking about one-on-one feedback, you know, whether it's good feedback or bad feedback whether you're talking about, you know, technical communication or commercial communication. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, the one-on-ones you have with your team or, you know, the team calls or groups. Always make sure, I mean, it sounds daft and I know we're, we're all living this life right now, but make sure that everyone's got their camera on. You know, use all the tools that you have available to you. You know, follow up. You know, if you're giving someone some some feedback and it's on something that is, you know, important to them, maybe it's, Maybe it's some 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 constructive feedback on things that they can do to improve. You need to deliver that, you know, really sensitively. But you also need to make sure that they have understood your feedback. So you follow that up with an email or you know a, maybe a, a detailed message in Slack, depending on the context of what you're doing. But be be clear with that communication. Make sure that there's there's no misunderstandings because again, like it's not like you're in an office and you can just bump into someone in the you know, the break room or whatever, or by the water cooler, um, you know, everything you do is, is kind of, or a lot of what you do is asynchronous. And, uh, and, you know, that, that sort of focus is really, really important. Yeah. Great, great advice. Keep your camera on. I love that. Dave, you've had an amazing career and, uh, you know, Grafana Labs is one of the hot ones. So hopefully you'll have a nice long run there, but, uh, you know, I'm sure the next startup will benefit from the playbook. I'm, I'm biased cause I'm a startup guy too, but I, I think the ability to kind of go in and build is, is really underrated and takes an incredible amount of uh, strength and, and stamina. So you've uh, definitely got a, a pretty powerful approach to all that. Yeah. I mean, the, the trick to some of this is is just like really just care about your team, the, not just the numbers that they produce, but you need to care about their careers. You've got a, you've got a, like your one-on-ones with your team, especially as a remote team, probably your most important meetings you'll have in your calendar. And you should treat them that way. Yeah, you know, the second most important meetings in your calendar is your your team meeting, and really everything else should come third. It's it's that caring about your team, making sure that really you're reviewing their progress regularly. There should be you know no surprises when it comes to things like you know annual reviews or anything like that. And then just celebrate the successes and and learn from the failures. Yeah, success can be someone doing a really amazing presentation or a demo that the whole team can reuse. Or I mean, it could be a you know a failure it could be a meeting going off the rails or a you know a deal that that didn't land for whatever reason. But if you're not if you're not celebrating the successes, if you're not learning from the failures, the the failures, well, you'll you'll end up repeating those, and that's a, a lost opportunity 
and their success is again like it's a remote team people need to feel that they're that they're making progress that they're noticed and that uh, that you're invested in them so creating that i suppose what we're doing really is we're creating a safe and supportive environment where where people in the team feel that they can ask for help and they'll they'll receive it without any any stigma or prejudice and you know that the whole team is there to also support them yeah because yeah, in the startup world if, if the team doesn't feel that sense of caring and empathy and that celebration it's very yeah. easy for them to jump to another ship right so this is how it you is. keep the team together it absolutely is you know, we've all heard the uh the the phrase many many times i'm sure people don't leave uh, people don't leave leave companies they leave yeah, managers, managers and, yeah. and managers and leaders so you know, if if you start to see churn, the first the first step should always be look at yourself. Look look at what <laughs> you're doing. Look at how you're running the team. And that's really it's really difficult to do. Uh, but you need to make sure that you know you're you're you've got the best interests of the the team at heart because you know it gets back to that transparency. People will people will respond to that if you focus on them. They'll they'll give their all to you and you'll all be successful. Dave, fantastic conversation. Got any uh, interesting plans for the weekend? I think this weekend, uh, for about the first time in six months, um, my uh, my parents are coming to visit. So this is oh, going to be... It's going to be great. So, going to get a chance to sit down together and, and have a good meal. And, uh, and uh, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Dave, thank you so much for talking to Pre Sales Heroes today. Absolutely love it. You're very welcome. Take care, Greg. 